right. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Let's go to hymn number 135 to start our service. We'll get one more Christmas carol in here. I think it's the only one we haven't sung out of the hymn book this season, so we'll get it in here. While shepherds watch their flocks, 135. so grateful this evening that we can come together and bring our request to you as well as come together to study your word. And as we begin to wrap up this Christmas season and we enter into a new year, we just ask, Father, that we would not forget your love and your grace in our behalf in sending your Son. And as we begin a new year, may we truly approach this new year as ones who desire to grow in our faith, to grow in our understanding of who you are, to grow in our walk with you, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Pray, Father, that we would live each day looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way you have blessed us as a church this past year. And we look forward to this coming year and what you might do in and through us. I pray, Father, for our annual business meeting in just a few weeks as we begin this new year and as we prepare a new budget and as we make plans for the new year. I pray, Father, that the head of the church would guide us and direct us and that we'd be sensitive to that leading and guidance, that we'd be in a place of your blessing and in the place of being able to know your will and discern your will as we would 
offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you. I pray, Father, that as we do approach this new year in our business meeting, that each member would recognize their responsibility, yea, their privilege to be part of the church and part of your bride, and that we would take that responsibility seriously and that we would desire to really see our church grow spiritually, even numerically, just depending upon you as we would, as we would plant and water, we would trust you to give the increase. We continue, Father, to pray for our kids for truth and our teens. They are not meeting tonight, and yet, Father, we would not want to be negligent in praying for them as they start a new year as well next Wednesday. Pray for Eddie as he leads the, the youth team and, and interacts with the teenagers. We pray for Lloyd and Susan and the other leaders with the Kids for Truth. We just ask, Father, that you would give them wisdom as well. Thank you for these, these ministries and for those who minister to the teens and to the kids. We pray, Father, that our teens would grow likewise in their knowledge of you. Those who do not know Christ as their Savior would would recognize that need in their life and surrender themselves to you and even our children. For the gospel is, is understandable, even to the young. They can understand that they are sinners and need a Savior. We thank you, Father, for the Savior that you have given to us. We do pray that you would give us wisdom as a church, that you would meet our needs. We recognize that Economically, things seem to be on rather shaky ground in our country and even around the world. And yet, in spite of that, we know that you will meet our needs as we trust you and as we lean upon you. Help us not to lean upon our own understanding, but simply acknowledge you in all of our ways and just trust that you would meet our needs in this coming year. Thank you, Father, for each one who's come tonight. Thank you for those who've joined us online. We'd ask that you would bless each one of them we thank you for the opportunity again to just be together tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will continue in prayer. And as I mentioned, we don't have a youth group tonight or the Kids for Truth. And so we have some who are usually involved uh, back in the Kids for Truth and the teens able to be with us tonight. And some of them are going to be praying tonight. So uh, I'm not sure who's going first. Eddie, are you going first? All right. Let's continue in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this past year. We thank you for the many uh, blessings that you have given us. We thank you for the challenges that you have led us through. We thank you for the wisdom that you have given us in those challenges. Lord, we thank you for um, the unfolding of your plan. We recognize that in your sovereign hand, um, things have unfolded exactly the way you intended, and Lord, we are thankful that we can um, have that hope in our lives that um, while we look at the world around us that seemingly seems to be out of control, yet, Lord, we know that we serve a God who um, is sovereign over all. We serve a God who is not at all surprised by the challenges or difficulties that we face, uh, the challenge and difficulties that the world faces. 
You are not surprised by any of it. Lord, but in your uh, watchful, omniscient care, you are Lord over all. So, Lord, we thank you for this past year and all the activity of it. Lord, we look forward to uh, a new coming year. We look forward to what you will do. And, Lord, we do pray for um, the various ministries of this church as it relates to this new year. We, uh, we do want to pray for the children as well as the teenagers in uh, both of those ministries. We pray for uh, both the leadership and those that are participating in it uh, as, as uh, leaders as well as um, children and, and teenagers. Lord, I pray that each would grow in their knowledge of you each would grow in their discernment and that they would learn to live lives that are pleasing to you, that we would learn better how to lead as leaders, and we would learn also better how to follow you, and we would learn how to be sensitive to your will, to looking for your guidance, for your direction, and we would let go of our agendas when we need to and be sensitive to where you are leading. Lord, we do also want to um, just pray for the church as a whole. Lord, we do pray that you would continue to mature us and grow us. Um, no matter where we are in our walk with you, we recognize that we have so far yet to go. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to give us a passion and a desire for you, for your word, to know you, in a deeper, more intimate, personal way, um, that it would be something that would be on the forefronts of our minds. So often we can live as though you don't exist. We can live lives without a thought um, in regard to our families and work, uh, the different situations of life, but Lord, help us not to do that. Help us to have you on the forefront of our minds that... Um, Communion with you through prayer and through your word and is a constant part of our daily life as we, we meditate on scriptures as it relates to the challenges that we face. Uh, we lift up prayers to you as it relates to the different decisions that we need to make. Lord, help us to grow in this area. Help us to be examples to those around us. Uh, fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to be an example, an encouragement, uh, accountability for them, but also help us to be an example and testimony of Christ to the world. We recognize that there are so many out there who are lost and, and don't maybe even know that they are. Um, certainly they, they don't if they haven't come to you, and we pray that you would give us the testimony as a church to be able to reach those around us to be a positive influence on them. Um, we pray that you would give us boldness, not only in our actions, but also in our words and our speech to be able to clearly communicate to, um, to those who need you, uh, your truth. Help us to do it with grace, sensitive to uh, the challenges and, uh, and the questions they may ha have, but also in truth, not being afraid to, to share uh, what they need to hear. Lord, I, I 
pray for the other ministries of this church as well. We think of so many who are in, involved in um, just the daily running of the church. Lord, we're thankful for them. We're thankful for their servant's heart, their dedication to the ministry, their dedication to one another um, and, and serving you in this manner. Lord, we pray that all the glory would go to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, you are our refuge and our strength. Let us never be ashamed. Lord, the psalmist has got that right. Lord, you are our refuge, and this is why we come to you in prayer. We are so thankful for your strength. We're so thankful that when things aren't going right, we can just lean on you. When things are going right, we still lean on you, Lord. We are so thankful for who you are and the blessings that you give us. Lord, we come to you tonight um, just praising you for this church, for the ministry in this church, for what is being taught, the truth of your word. So thankful, Lord, that you uh, are here for us and that we can lean on you and that we can learn from your word. Lord, we're... Uh, as was mentioned, <clears throat> that many of us here, the ones praying tonight, are from the youth group. So I pray for our youth, Lord. So thankful for them. Lord, make us worthy. Make us worthy and keep our hearts and our attitudes and our spirits right. Help us to be able to deliver to these young people what you want them to hear. Lord, help us to be able to um, communicate your word in such a way that they will see the living word of God and that they will thirst for it. Lord, and uh, we pray for them. Uh, they're from many backgrounds, and uh, they're here because they want to be here, and they're here because they love you, and they, they love to come. And thank you for that, and uh, for the kids' club too, Lord. It's so fun to see all the smiles and all the fun with them. Lord, please be with them and be with all the leaders as they continue in this. Thank you for our Christmas program. Thank you that it went well. Thank you for all the classes that got up front and, and uh, expressed that love and that um, desire of your word. Thank you, Lord, for Christmas. Without Christmas, the rest of the Bible is just worthless because of Christmas, because of what you did, because you sent your son. Lord, here we are. Here we are with an eternity and a beautiful future. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that um, Christmas program that it went well. And Lord, as was mentioned too, we, we pray also for our country, for the leaders, for those people who are in, been recently elected, Lord, convict their hearts. Convict their hearts to live by the standard of truth. May they see, Father, that you are the one who is in control. Uh, when we look around us, as was said, when we look around us and we see all the chaos and everything that's happening, Lord, it is so wonderful to be able to look at you and say, yeah, we are citizens of heaven if we know you. 
Lord, I pray our leaders will recognize the fact that they are not an island by themselves, but we need an almighty God and we need somebody who, uh, uh, we need you who can lead and guide us. And Lord, I think about um, Peru and everything that's happening there. And um, we, have, uh, we have our own people there. And we pray, Father, that you'll protect them. Protect them. And Lord, I pray for the believers that are there. And, and those people have actually been to Arequipa and have seen the work there, Lord. I pray that you will um, intercede and give the, the believers peace. In the same way with Ukraine, there's so many people there, Lord, that who are actually believers, and it's great. And Lord, we understand that, and, but we pray you protect them and protect them through this, Father. And we uh, are so thankful, Lord, again, that you are our refuge and our strength. And I pray, Lord, for again, for our church, for the, the ministries in our church, the Sunday school teachers and, and everything that's happening. And as we go into a new year, Lord, um, looking forward to that, thinking of the, the Sunday school lessons again and how to teach the kids and the change of classes and, and the kids moving up. And, and again, it's so fun to watch them grow and grow up. And, and uh, Lord, we pray for salvation for some of them who, are, who might not know you. And not only just our kids, but any of the adults and the new people we see coming into the church, Lord, we, a lot of visitors have come. And we pray uh, for spiritual growth and guidance. And again, Lord, we just want to represent who you are. And we are so thankful for that. And Lord, um, help us as a church, as your word says, to love one another. And it starts right here amongst us as believers. Help us to love one another, to overlook faults, and to be able to say, hey, Lord, um, this is what you commanded, and help us as a church to represent you, not to be in such a position that other people would think that I don't want to be at that church. Lord, help them to realize and help them to see and help us to realize that we need to be outreaching and loving and help us do that efficiently. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your word. Be with us as we go into uh, this Bible study tonight. And uh, thank you that we can look at your living word of God and know that it is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, it's, it's flawless. And thank you that we can lean on that. Lord, we love you. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 14. For those of you who have been with the other ministries on Wednesday night, we've been going through Ezekiel. 
in chapter 12. There were a couple of dramatizations that Ezekiel went through, just really through those dramas. He prophesied concerning the captivity of Judah, particularly Jerusalem. And then in chapter 13, he specifically prophesied against the false prophets and prophetesses in chapter 13. And then the first 11 verses of chapter 14, he prophesies against the, the elders of Israel, specifically even the elders of Israel or of Judah that uh, were in captivity with Ezekiel. They would come to Ezekiel seeking a word from the Lord while at the same time they were harboring idols of the heart and worshiping their own idols. And so Ezekiel prophesies judgment upon the elders as well. As we come to verse 11 of chapter 14, God says that this judgment is that the house of Israel may go no more astray from me, neither be polluted anymore with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, says the Lord God. So the purpose of judgment was to bring them back to himself. And we kind of concluded there a couple of weeks ago with that verse, simply saying that, that God had, for centuries really, had called them back to himself and called them to repentance and warned of judgment. And they continued to rebel. They continued to be unfaithful to the Lord. And so now he's bringing judgment. But still, the purpose of the judgment is to bring them back to himself, to restore them. And so really we see in the judgment God's love. God desires to have a relationship with them. And as he has that desire to have a relationship with them, he's really come to the conclusion, if you want to put it in human terms, that the only cure for their unfaithfulness and their rebellion is judgment. He's called them back to repentance. He's called them back to himself. He's sent their prophets to them. The only thing left to do, the only cure, is judgment. And so he says, I'm, I'm going to bring judgment. And we kind of concluded there two weeks ago, raising the question, uh, is that where we are as a nation? Have we so far removed ourselves from God and his word and his truth as God has called us to repentance? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not equating the United States with Israel as such, but just... God in his character is going to treat uh, nations very similarly. Israel was to be an example to the other nations. And are we to the point where the only cure is judgment? Have we gone so far that the only cure is judgment? Now, I, I don't say that to, to throw up our hands and give up. We're still to be salt and light in this world. And certainly we're to be salt and light in our circle of influence. So I'm not saying that to throw up our hands and give up, but I am just raising that question. As we come to chapter 12, and chapter 12 through the, uh, the end of, of chapter 14, um, God just basically says there will be four forms of judgment. In these verses, there will be four forms of judgment. There will be famine, there will be wild beast, there will be pestilence, and there will be sword. 
And uh, that's a kind of a common theme in the Old Testament as it relates to judgment, famine, wild beast, sword, and pestilence. And that's the, the judgments that he mentions here in these verses. Notice verse 12, and the word of the Lord came again to me saying, Son of man, when the land sins against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it and will break the staff of the bread of it and will send famine upon it and will cut off man and beast from it. So the first form of judgment is this famine. He says, I'll break the staff of the bread of it or I will I'll destroy the, you know, you think of a staff as support. Well, bread supports you physically as you eat the bread. And he says, I, I'm going to, I'm going to break that support. You're not going to have your bread. There's going to be famine. Then verse 14 is an interesting verse. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver only their own souls by their righteousness, says the Lord God. He says, even if, if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in your midst, they wouldn't be able to save you. They wouldn't be able to deliver you from my judgment. They'd be able to deliver their own righteous soul, but they're not going to be able to deliver the nation. Kind of reminds us a little bit of, of uh, uh, Abraham when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham said, well, if I find 50 righteous, will you spare them? And God said, yes. So if you find, you know, and work down to, to 10. And God said, yes. Well, there weren't even 10 righteous. So God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, here, God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah even if there were ten righteous. But God's saying to Israel, even if these three righteous men were in your midst, you wouldn't be spared. Now, why these three? Noah, Daniel, and Job. Why would he mention these three men? Any, any thoughts or ideas on that? Why these three? Obviously, uh, they're, they're heroes of the Old Testament, if you will. Um, and certainly, uh, those to whom Ezekiel was prophesying, would have, they would have known uh, Noah, uh, at least uh, not known him personally, but they would have known from Scripture uh, Noah. And, 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 and it's interesting, Daniel is actually a contemporary of Ezekiel. Daniel's also in the Babylonian captivity. He went in the first deportation in 605 B.C. Ezekiel went in the second deportation in 597 B.C. But they were, they were um, contemporaries of one another. And yet Ezekiel throws Daniel in here, or I should say God throws Daniel in here, along with Noah, way back at the time of the flood, and along with Job that uh, uh, existed uh, probably about the time of Abraham. And then he throws Daniel in. But why these three? Any, any thoughts? Any thoughts? Ideas on that, Lloyd? righteous man is why he's up there. All right. Just a way to let the reader know 
be kept. Because just like these three guys were delivered through their righteousness, you can do any, any ideas as to why the order? It's not, uh, you know, it says Noah, Daniel, and, and Job. That's not, um, that's not in chronological order, is it? Dave? Noah stayed in the family. You know, it was a righteous family. He was able to do that. He, he couldn't say which one. All right. I, I think that's a good thought. Um, and I think that tends to why, why this this order. It's out of order as far as uh, um, you know, age is concerned. You got Noah, who would be the oldest, and then it should be Job, and then Daniel. But he puts Daniel in there. And, and Noah, in his righteousness, saved his family. Daniel, in his righteousness, saved his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember the time when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and uh, the wise men of Babylon couldn't interpret the dream and so Nebuchadnezzar in his anger said, I'm, I'm going to destroy all the wise men. I'm going to kill them all. And when Daniel heard of that word, he went to the one who, who was supposed to do the killing and said, you know, give me some time and I will interpret the dream. And so he goes back to his friend, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and says, you know, let's pray. And they prayed and God interpreted the dream. And so through Daniel... In his righteousness, he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and of course, ultimately, all of the, the Babylonian wise men were, were spared. Come to Job, he really couldn't even save his wife and children, could he? Children were killed, his wife, um, no evidence that she died, but uh, she certainly turned on Job and on the Lord. Um, so I think, you know, Noah saved his family. Daniel saved his three friends. Noah saved his family, which was seven plus himself. Daniel saved himself and his three friends. Job couldn't save his family. And so he's basically saying, even if these three righteous men were in your midst, they couldn't spare you from the judgment. Uh, Jeremiah made a similar statement. You don't need to turn to it, but in Jeremiah chapter 15, then said the Lord unto me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Again, Jeremiah is a, a contemporary, likewise of a contemporary of, of Ezekiel, and Jeremiah says even if, if Moses and Samuel were here, they couldn't save you from the judgment to come. And so now we have Ezekiel saying the same thing with reference to Noah, Daniel, and Job. Um, any, any other comments or thoughts on that? They, they stood, or these three stood uh, for the Lord in difficult times when everyone else was against them. 
Um, but the point is that even if they were present now and standing for the Lord when everyone was against them, they wouldn't spare you from judgment. They weren't going to be spared. And he says then in verse 15, if I cause evil beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beast, though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. So as Lloyd said, they would be delivered. So individuals, if you repent, if you live righteous lives, you'll be delivered. But you're not going to be able to spare the overall judgment upon Jerusalem and Judah. Very good. They, they know it was a worldwide judgment. Um, Daniel was national, and Job was a personal struggle. And they stood true for God. And as he says here, in, in the face of the famine, in the face of the wild beast, they could spare their own souls, but they're not going to be able to save you as a nation from judgment. So we have uh, in verses uh, 12 through 14 the, the famine. Verses 15 and 16 is the, the wild beast. Verses 17 and 18 is the sword. Or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, Sword, go through the land so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. And so the third form of judgment is sword. Verses 19 and 20 is the fourth form of judgment, which is pestilence. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job, notice, keeps the same order. Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. As I live, says the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall deliver only their own souls by their righteousness. So can, in each of these forms of judgment, he mentions these three individuals, how they could save their own souls but not spare the nation from the coming judgment. <clears throat> in fact, he says then in verse 21, For thus says the Lord God, How much more when I send my four severe judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword, the famine, and the wild beast, and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. <clears throat> he says, in essence what he's saying here, these three men could not spare you even from one of the judgments, let alone all four. He says, for thus says the Lord, how much more when I send my four judgments? So these three couldn't spare you from the famine. If that was the only judgment, they couldn't spare you from that. They're certainly not going to be able to spare you from all four judgments that I will bring upon you. Yet behold, in verse 22, in it shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth, both sons and daughters. Behold, they shall come forth unto you, and you shall see their way and their doings. And you shall be comforted concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem, even concerning all that I have brought upon it. And they shall comfort you when you see their ways and their doings. And you shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, says the Lord God. Verses 22 and 23 have been 
interpreted differently. It talks about this remnant. Usually when we think about a remnant of Israel, we're thinking about the remnant of believers who are spared. Um, I'm not sure that's how it's being used here. I think what is being used here is simply the remnant of those who aren't killed in the four judgments. They're not killed by the famine. They're not killed by the wild beasts. They're not killed by the sword. They're not killed by the pestilence. In other words, they survive the judgments, but they are taken into captivity. And they are brought into Babylon. And remember now, in chapter 14, Ezekiel is talking to the elders that are with him in the Babylonian captivity. That's who he's talking to. And so he says, uh, this remnant, they're going to come to you. The ones that, are, are, that survive the judgments, they're going to come to you and they're going to be taken captive. And when they come to you, you're going to see their abominations. You see, the elders that were taken captive, they were in their mind thinking, well, things can't be that bad back in Jerusalem, that God's got to bring this kind of judgment. Certainly it hasn't gone that far down. And so Ezekiel is saying to them, when these that survive the judgments are brought to you in captivity and you see them and you see their ways and you see their abominations, you're going to recognize how bad they really were back in Jerusalem and how bad things really were and you're going to understand that this judgment was not without cause. I believe that's what verses 22 and 23 are emphasizing. That they will come to recognize that yes, it was that bad and yes, they deserved to be judged. And yes, God was not without cause in bringing that judgment. Does that make sense? Any comments or questions on that? Again, uh, the confusion comes because normally we think of a remnant as being the remnant of believers. It's not quite how it's being used here. It's just being referred to the remnant that survived the judgments but were taken into captivity. But when they come... Um, they, they come with all of their, their doings, as it says here, their, their idolatries and their abominations and their sin. And the ones who have been taken captive earlier will see their abominations and their sin and recognize that God brought judgment and had good cause to bring judgment. Yes? Mike is reading from Jeremiah 45. That one was just a, a reminder that uh, um, 
your life will be spared, but things will, and, and Lloyd was hinting to this too, uh, when the judgment comes, even the believers are going to suffer. And uh, that's what I, Jeremiah 45 is making reference to, that, that the judgment's coming, and, and don't expect you as believers, your life will be spared, but it's going to be tough. Circumstances are going to be very, very difficult. And we see the same thing when we come to the tribulation. You go to the book of Revelation, and, and there's going to be those who will turn to, to Christ, and they will be saved in the tribulation, but it's going to be hard. There will be many who will be martyred. Some will die. Some will survive the tribulation and will enter into the millennium, but uh, it's going to be hard for the believers as well. Any other questions or comments? I think we're going to just quit there tonight. If I get started into the next, we'll be here too late. Um, I'll simply say this. Chapters 15, 16, and 17 are three different parables or three different, maybe we could use the word allegories, that uh, God, through Ezekiel, brings to uh, Judah to simply show them how rebellious they've been, how unfaithful they've been, and uh, again, showing them that judgment's the only thing that's going to cure them. Uh, chapter 15, uh, it's the parable or allegory of the vine. Chapter 16 is the parable or allegory of, of a child maturing to being a wife, which of course was the picture of Israel as God brought them forth, if you will, and made them his wife, but they were unfaithful. And then in chapter 17, it's the parable or the allegory of the two eagles, and we'll be looking at those our, our next time together next week. But uh, uh, re read ahead. Chapter 16 is not easy reading. It's 63 verses long, and it's not easy reading at all. And it's not going to be easy to preach on either. So. But to read it and, uh, and just uh, see how God is showing to Israel uh, just how rebellious and how unfaithful they have been. Again, showing them that his judgment is not without cause. Let's bow in prayer. Father, again, we are grateful for our time together tonight and for the opportunity to study your word. It's just a reminder for us of how much you hate sin, how much you hate rebellion and unfaithfulness. And the same Example is given in the New Testament for us as the church, the bride of Christ, and how we can be unfaithful to our husband. We can commit adultery by being friends with this world and its lust. And I pray, Father, that we would learn from the example of Judah, the example of what Ezekiel speaks of in his prophecies of the judgment that you brought because of that unfaithfulness. Help us to examine our own hearts and our own lives. May we 
be faithful to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.